0: what i've done from the very beginning well, you know from the very beginning all the bit all my bitcoin whether it was personal or through the business was immediately withdrawn i would wire money to gemini and then immediately take it off into a into a into a wall when my wallet had a similar value on it and it was in my sock drawer to what my house was worth. I said, this might be time to like figure something out here and like not have the seed phrase and the wallet both in my sock drawer. Yep. So yep. that's when I learned about, found, discovered Unchained Capital, yep. got the multi-sig set up ever since that day. We're huge know, fans. School, been sleeping, you know, much, much better. Both wall- you know, wallets are in different geographic locations, that kind of thing. This is the Blue Collar Bitcoin
1: Podcast, a show where average Joe firefighters explore the most important monetary technology of the 21st century. We talk Bitcoin, we talk finance, and we talk shit.
2: Ladies, gentlemen, and hogs of all colors, we have an interesting show for you today. We have Mr. Jeff Gerson, CEO of Capital Logistics. Jeff is a serial entrepreneur and has been putting people under contract since the age of seven. He has started multiple successful startups and has sound, actionable advice for those who may be interested in entrepreneurial endeavors for themselves. Capital itself is a shipping broker that connects trucks and customers, primarily focusing on temperature-controlled freight. Capital has an inside view of the state of the economy. Typically, freight shipments are a leading indicator of the health of the economy overall. Jeff says they saw a meaningful dip in business starting in March of 2022 and continuing to date. Capital Logistics has a Bitcoin treasury. They maximize Bitcoin purchases every month after ensuring that they keep enough cash to run their business without having to touch the Bitcoin treasury. This is an important point. Make sure that in your own finances, you have enough cash reserves so that you are not a forced seller of Bitcoin. It also goes without saying that you should not be leveraging yourself with Bitcoin in any way. Instead, what you should be doing is draining any exchange that you use to buy Bitcoin the second it is available to withdraw, and you should be cold storing it on a cold card Mark 4. The cold card is our signing device of choice. We have tried many of the alternatives, and when it comes to robust security, the only metric that truly matters when holding a significant amount of Bitcoin and the cold card is head and shoulders above the competition. You can use it in a simplified manner and connect it to your computer via USB. You can sign using your phone with NFC and just tap it. Or you can completely air gap with an SD card. You have massive optionality and it has many advanced features that you can grow into. Another option for cold storage and easy use of smaller amounts of Bitcoin is the Tap Signer. This is a credit card style device that works in tandem with your phone to sign transactions via NFC. This is the most secure way to hold Bitcoin on your phone and have it quickly available for signing transactions. If you're going to order a cold card Mark IV, use code
1: BCB for 5% off. All views and language expressed by the hosts and guests in this podcast are solely their personal opinions and do not reflect their employers or organizations they are associated with. Do not treat any of the content in this podcast as investment advice or as an inducement to follow a particular strategy. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Folks, welcome into Blue Collar Bitcoin. Um, We have Jeff Gerson with us today. Before we give him the mic, Public service announcement: um, I have been uh, afflicted by the SARS-CoV-2 virus. Uh, I am Ooh. positive for what some people know as COVID-19 or coronavirus disease. So, if you hear sniffles, crackles, uh, any nasality, you'll know why. But wow. in all seriousness, Dan, been off been off work you, for you feels don't look like good, forever, man. Josh.
2: Yeah, you, you look so healthy in the pixelated video I'm seeing of you right now. It's hard to believe, but. <laughs> It's true. Like it's you, actually,
1: it, it's been a little bit of a run here, cooped up. Uh, my wife got it first, then both my kids. I'm bringing up the caboose, uh, just st- head cold still right now. But I think it's worth saying that I should be thanked for my blue collar Bitcoin service. Because I am here going hard in the paint so to deliver high level robust Bitcoin education for the masses with COVID. So, Man, so thank brave. me on Twitter, YouTube, wherever you like. Jeff.
0: Welcome in, my friend. Thank you, fellas. Uh, I am huge fans, and I'm honored to be here. Very excited to, uh, you know, be on the be on the show, and hopefully uh, add some add some good color about my background, who I am, why I'm on here, yeah. and why I'm a big Bitcoin fan and a big fan of your show. Absolutely,
2: we're going to dive into all of that. So, I mean, we might as well jump into that right off the bat. So, you're entrepreneurial endeavors include Capital Logistics, which is the company you're running, which is a shipping logistics company. Tell us a little bit about how you got into the idea of being an entrepreneur, if you had any other uh, attempts before a successful venture, and a bit about how that works in yourself.
0: Yes, absolutely. I'll I'll try to give you my background kind of quickly. I've actually been thinking about monies and Possibly could be called obsessing about money since I'm about seven years old. My, my first venture, I actually went around the neighborhood and signed up people to uh, under contract to let me shovel their driveways when it snowed. So that wait, 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 you race. put them
2: under contract. Did you actually put, create put a under, contract at that age?
0: Yeah, I did. I had a contract <laughs> so that because everyone would race out in the neighborhood And by noon, everybody was done and it was, it was all cleaned up. So I, I could, you know, in order to not have to race to get every driveway, I'd put people under contract. The only problem was when I showed up at five o'clock to do someone's driveway, they were pretty pissed that they had to wait all day to get it done. (laughs) Yeah. Hey man, here's the contract. You signed it. Yeah. So I, I've been thinking about, you know, money generally, you know, how I was going to acquire it, all that stuff my whole life. Um, I went to the University of Michigan, I, uh, I studied accounting there. I then went and got my MBA at NYU where I majored in finance. So it's accounting and finance. I had a brief stint on Wall Street, uh, which coincid- uh, not co- coincidentally for, for where the world is now and some of the things we'll talk about, actually my job was at Bernie Madoff's investment firm. <laughs> <laughs> and got uh, dig into this. Yeah, yeah I, I was on the market making side, which was a legit business that is like similar to what Citadel Securities does today. They were the original inventors of the payment for order flow, and they had an incredible business. Uh, unfortunately, the other side of the business that Bernie was running, you know, on the other floor, I don't know how much you guys know about the story, because it's probably you were little, but, you know, at the time, 14 years ago. But we had the market making floor where I worked, and then he was on a different floor, supposedly managing money. and. It's just it's it's, you know, obviously we all know what we know from the news, but it's just I I remember when I first sold my business a few years later, my partner at the time said, hey, why don't we give some of our money to Bernie? And like I knew even then I was like, you know, nice guy, great family. But like, let's uh, let's not do that. And I, I won't go further into that. But but anyway um While still at Madoff, I had an idea to start an outdoor advertising business. I lived in New York City for about 15 years, and um, I just had an idea. There were all these giant walls uh, with nothing on them, and I started to see a few ads here or there. And one Saturday morning, I jumped on my bike and I started driving down what's called Houston Street, and I started knocking on some doors. And one guy answered, and I told him, "Hey, I'd like to, you know, try to put an ad up on on, on the side of your building." And He's like, sure, man, what's the name of your company? And I hadn't even thought about it before that. I was just kind of exploring and thinking it. And on the spot, it hit me, Capital Advertising. So that was the first Capital. And I did that. I ended up having 50 walls and billboards in New York City, Queens, uh, maybe one in Brooklyn. But yeah, so I did that for five or six years. Uh, I then, when I sold that business, I was in my early 30s and while it was a good amount of money, it was by far, you know, not nearly enough to, you know, call F it months, Yeah. Right. Yeah. Not, not even close, but it was like the deciding factor was like, okay, I actually, now have more money than my dad and I'm 30. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, I then realized that he paid for college and vacations and cars and all that other stuff for the last 30 years. Anyway. Um, that, that, that was like, that was the start. Uh, it, that was, you know, so it's been entrepreneurial business owner, you know, my whole life. And uh, after that, I started doing a little dabbling in real estate, uh, buying some buildings, renovating some buildings in Manhattan and looking for really a new operating business that I could sink my teeth into. And my roommate, best friend from college had been an investor in logistics. And he's like, Jeff, I think you'd love it. I think you'd be really good at it. And uh, I went out there, he taught me a little bit about the business and fast forward a couple of years after that, I grabbed my partner, Michael, who you haven't met yet. But the two of us in 2009 uh, jumped into logistics and that's a fancy name for freight rovers. We uh, we don't own any trucks. Um, we simply connect loads of food from our customers, which are big national grocers or wholesalers of food and. We find the right truck, the right equipment, and we, you know, we've got 90 people here now. We started just the two of us, and 14 years later, we've got 90 people. We do 500 loads a week, and um, you know, I'll get into all the stuff about you know how you do that and some advice and all that. But you know, what attracted me to you guys as blue-collar Bitcoin and firemen, and you know, you know, we're in the real world. You know, we're yeah. not one of the things about my business is, always is I've never had outside investors and we have no debt. We build slow and steady. Uh, it's badass. And I, Yeah. I mean, we went from two people to three people to eight people to 15 people, you know, and it took years and years. And then from, yep. from, from when COVID hit, we had 35 people at the beginning of COVID and for two straight years, it was insanity. Um, and we went from 35 to 95 at the height. Um, And it was just a whirlwind of insanity for two years. It was just everybody was shipping nonstop. We didn't have time to get new customers. It was just an amazing, great growth, you know. And, you know, to this day, like, I may have started this, but, and I say this all the time, without my partner, Michael, never would have got past year three. Like, we have totally different skill sets. And, Right now, it's a total team effort. We have teams of people that each do different things. And I come in my office half the time. I'm like, I cannot believe we got to where we are. And I'm super grateful and humble for like, you know, like I could never do this again. And I'm super thankful for like the hard work. And people sometimes ask me like, what am I good at? And I, you know, jokingly, I'll say I don't know. But but the reality is I'm just good with people and making you feel like, you're part of a team and we're going to win this game and I'm going to take carry to the best of my ability. And, you know, just, I'm jumping around to different topics, but like this year in March, you know, and the world just, our world came to a screeching halt in March. Like we saw the recession and we saw the slowdown March 1st. It was unbelievable. And we, we haven't fired a single person, uh, you know, we, we know it's going to turn around and we've done fine. It's been a good year. But like in terms of volume per the number of people we have is we're, we're you know, we, we're doing half the number of loads per person that we were doing a year ago today, um, but still optimistic and know that we're going to all get through this one way or another. So sorry for going on for no,
1: 15 minutes. No, no, love it. H- here's what here's what we're excited about, about this conversation. And I'm not here to knock anybody but th- even within Bitcoin, there are so many people in the financial analysis sector, and that's great. But it's when you're making the world go round, when you're running businesses that move things from place to place, you don't have time to analyze markets and stare at screens every day. And um, we get we've gotten a number of people that have asked us like. How do I get into Bitcoin or get a job in Bitcoin or work in Bitcoin full time? Like, we've gotten DMs like this, and our response is we don't. Like, we like responding to 911 calls. We do this on the side, and it's fine to go do whatever makes you passionate if it's outside the financial sector, whether you want to be a firefighter or run a logistics company or Run and own a winery like Ben Justman, who we talked to on Twitter recently. Like go do what you wanna do that provides value in the marketplace and use Bitcoin right. as a savings technology. And And here's my last comment on this because I'm on a little bit of a tangent here, but it's something I'm passionate about. I, in a previous life, tried to make my uh, interest, my hobby interest, my career. So I played golf growing up. I played golf in college. I went into the golf business. It was great, but I, I came to find that the reason I enjoyed golf was because it's something I poured into on the side of my main career. And I think that's kind of how we view Bitcoin. Like it's a, it's a passion project on the side of what we like doing for a living. Yep. And I know your trajectory is, is somewhat similar to that. And it's, so it's cool to resonate with someone like
0: this. I mean, you, you're doing a pretty good job of making us all think that this might eventually be a career
2: too. fake it till you make it, you know? Yeah, That's we're, we're here to yeah. capture
1: the, uh, and yeah, it's been way more successful than we imagined, but at its core. And I think, honestly, what makes this show interesting is I hope it comes through the microphone that we don't need this. This is for right. fun. Yeah, this oh, is for us, absolutely. you know what I mean? And but, we'll say whatever the fuck we want to whoever we want because this is a passion project and exactly. a pursuit of intellectual depth for the two of us. And I think that kind of I see
2: that. it hits on a an important point that I want to make here, which is it might sound obvious, but it's worth stating that all is like, especially in crypto, like you watched all this shit, NFTs, all the nonsense rise over the last year and a half, mm. and then eventually and inevitably shit the bed because nobody was doing anything useful there, like creating a rock NFT that is a JPEG that has like six you know dots on a matrix. It's worthless. And everybody knows it's worthless inherently, but this craze gets inherently perpetuated until it blows up and crashes. And the point I'm trying to make here is like, find something useful to do. If you want to start a business, do something useful and do something useful that doesn't take a massive amount of capital outlay to start. Find something that you can do that has a capped downside. So like for this podcast, for example, I think, Dan, what did we spend to start this thing? We had laptops, some microphones. Um maybe we keep upgrading
1: audio equipment, but as yeah, it goes, if we keep you doing know. that,
2: we're gonna blow it all anyway. But <laughs> the, the point is is like it probably cost us a total of a couple hundred bucks. So our downside for this was time wasted, a couple hundred bucks. And a quick story that comes to mind when I think about this capping your downside idea is Richard Branson when he started an airline. The guy started a, an airline with almost no outlay of capital. He made he negotiated with Boeing that he could rent an airplane for them from for one year and that if all failed he could just hand the airplane back at the end of that period of time so in that one year period he had an experiment which was let's see if i can sell airline tickets and it was successful so it you know flourished from there but if that thing had gone sideways on him he would have been out whatever the rental fee was for that airplane but at least it was a capped downside he wasn't going to lose everything yeah. so point being here is if you want to start a business do something where you can cap your downside and you're not outlaying your life's worth on the table to lose.
0: You know, to add to that, my first billboard, the very first deal, I had a, I literally gave the guy five grand for a three or six month option. And I said, let me go see if I could sell it. I had a very limited downside. Um, I had a couple of businesses that were losers. You know, I was in the, I was in like an, I forget it was an online, like uh, it was a health insurance, online health insurance thing that just didn't go anywhere. You know, cap the downside got out. And I think like if I was going to give some young people that were thinking about starting a business some advice. I would say like the upside is so massive in my mind and not just financially, not at yep. all. That's not mm. what it, like. I have. You know, it was super stressful and it is super stressful still, you know, not like it was first five, 10, whatever years. But the biggest thing I have is complete control over my time. Yeah, I get to pick my schedule. If tomorrow I'm feeling a little lazy, I want to sleep an extra hour, no problem. I can move things, you know, reschedule meetings, you know, work as hard as I want for four days, take off on Friday. I think that's just, you know, that's for me. That might not be for everybody, but that is kind of one of the things that, you know, I, I you know, just I love about owning my own business. So for me, it didn't really matter if it was logistics, right? Outdoor advertising or what. It was, you know, find a business. That works. That's you know you can make more than than it costs you to run it, and you know, for me that's part of the enjoyment. Yeah, yeah.
2: and it's all about the asymmetry, as you just outlined, Jeff. Like you're capping your downside. Your potential upside is limitless financially, uh, is and growth for yourself, personal growth from just learning how to accomplish something without having guidelines around you. Like it's it's like working for another company. And Dan and I do this, so this is kind of. Uh, I kind of ride both sides of this, but it's almost like bowling without bumper guards. Like you get to fail fully. Like you're you may completely miss, but at least you gave it a shot. Uh, there's a gentleman Dan and I work with who I'm I admire quite a bit because he's started at least three or four businesses on the side, failed every single time, but he's yep. now finally got one. He's got one going now that looks like it's going to be a winner, and I'm I'm just proud watching him do it because it's like somebody who can fail over and over and keep getting up and have the persistence to try again. That's not easy to do. There's not a lot of people that have the ability to do that. Yeah. No. And usually the ones that fail
0: are the ones that ultimately get there. You know, if they if they're willing to keep putting themselves out there, they'll get, they'll get there for sure. Right. Right. And there's all different ways to measure success. It doesn't have to just be that this is, this guy's making the most money. It could be a variety of ways that he's, he or she, you know, who starts their own business is, is deemed to be successful.
1: Yep. Josh, I, I to double back, I, I love your your point there a minute ago. Ask yourself with any business or investment that you make, take it down, distill it to the fundamentals. Is it providing real value for real people? And this is part of our road to Bitcoin quote unquote maximalism, is as we survey the space of cryptocurrency and we distill the use case and the hole that's being filled by these various digital coins down to the cement, the base of the house, there's really only one protocol we think is adding significant value, and that is Bitcoin. But that's taken a long time to get here, and that is that is kind of the root out of shitcoinery, is realizing, like, I just read, Lynn Alden just released a piece the other day on uh, CeFi and DeFi, and basically how it's just one circular giant circle jerk that's accomplishing nothing. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so does this make itself does this make its way out into the real economy to impact real people's lives which is a good segue jeff into when did you find bitcoin is question one when and why and then how is it incorporated in your life and even your business
0: ah love it very excited to answer that so i uh I first heard about it somewhere 2014, 15, heard about it, was a little bit intrigued, you know, somewhere on CNBC or in some article, little bit interested, didn't really get it, obviously no one does at the beginning, and was thinking about buying a little bit, didn't even know how, you know, where were you going to buy it at that time, and then I just forgot about it. Yep. And fast forward four f- however many years later, I'm at Thanksgiving 2018. And my nephew, who's now, I'd say, 27, 28. So he was like 24 years old. I love the guy. Super bright kid. Um, he's working at a bank right out of school in real estate, real estate analyst. Um, we have a great relationship. And he's sitting there with a little hardware wallet showing his other uncle like something. He's connected to the computer. He's hitting some buttons. He's showing them. And, you know, I, my ears perked up. I jump over there. Starts telling me about Bitcoin, telling me what this is. He's got this thing on this wallet. It's not connected to the to the financial system. And just some light bulbs went off. I mean, I, this was like, holy moly. I, I got to learn more about this. You know, I heard about it before. He recommended, I think he bought for me the Bitcoin standard. I, I tore it up. I couldn't get enough. Uh, and so that was November of 18. After that you know, I, you know, later on read more and more books, but, and obviously a thousand hours of podcasts and every article I get my hands on. But, uh, I made my first Bitcoin purchase in January of 2019. And I just completed 48 straight months of buying Bitcoin and never having sold Bitcoin. And one thing I'm very proud about is, and this part of it, maybe by luck, part of it, maybe by my age, you know, my, uh, experience i've never bought anything else i've never bought a single coin and, and most people that you hear their stories they all like were caught up in the ico craze or they did this or yep. that. and i'm not saying i'm better than them but what what i what it just was like over the years my family would say well why can't you buy a little ethereum you know why not just a little ethereum why does it have to all be bitcoin and i would read about it and i would look into it and i would think about it and then i would say. I really don't understand what it is. How come I don't know how many Ethereum, why don't we know the total supply? And what does this mean? It's the world's computer. I don't get it. So anyway, I just have never been able to decide to take this new amount of money and put it in anything else except Bitcoin. So um, yeah, I mean, that's that's my story and how I got introduced to it and where we
2: are today. You are an untainted Bitcoiner. Dan and I cannot say as such. (laughs) We've been violated. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we definitely went whoring when we started in this uh, realm. That's for sure. Now,
1: it, in our defense, which we've said on this show, neither one of us was ever confused about the primacy of Bitcoin. Um, we true. got that. So, uh, it, in our defense, we understood, but we we were adopting the diversified portfolio theory that we had in our stock portfolios of like and the reckless uh, casino and, and, theory as well. And 2017, as we've said on the show, was a different time. There were way fewer full bore maxis. The education was limited and a lot of people that pretend like they weren't, by the way, on Twitter, we're not going to name names, were diversified across much of crypto. And now they're Dogmatic high priests of Bitcoin only, which we respect and we understand, but it's just it's a different time now. The education's so much better; you can kind of cut through the bullshit of shitcoinery a lot quicker. Which hopefully we're we're expediting for people because uh, we hope so. There's just not time for people to fuck around. Like people in our demographic, there's not there's not resources available to waste thousands of dollars on Tron Coin. Like with with how difficult uh, wealth growing wealth is today and investing. Like there's just, the the margins are lower. You can't miss as much and come out on top. So we're hoping to protect some people from those perils. Yeah. Hey, Jeff, I'm curious to ask you this question because
2: Dan and I have entertained the idea of like, let's say putting Bitcoin on our balance sheet for blue collar Bitcoin. We don't really know. So I'm I'm wondering a couple of things. How do you do that with capital logistics or, or if you do? And if you do, how does the Accounting side of things work. I don't want to go on long about this because this will probably make people bored out of their mind. But I'm curious how that works for like your company balance sheet because it seems to get pretty hairy as far as that's concerned. Like, how sure. do you properly do that?
0: Sure. So first of all, just to qualify, even though I've been Bitcoin only, it's I, I unlike some people that are maxis, I obviously for me at least still like live in the real world and know that I got to pay my mortgage and for sure. save, save some yep. money outside of Bitcoin. Just us got, you too. Know, I forbid. think that's come through on
1: this show. <laughs> us too. For sure. Okay. Just, just
0: to make sure everyone doesn't think, you know, it's 110% Bitcoin. But
2: <laughs> well, I mean, you should be leveraged too. I mean, I don't know what yes, you're doing if course. you're not at, <laughs> yeah. at least 200% leverage in Bitcoin. <laughs> Minimum, yes, Of course. of course.
0: <laughs> um, you know, what I've done from the very begin, well, you know, from the very beginning, all the bit, all my Bitcoin, whether it was personal or through the business, was immediately withdrawn. I would wire money to Gemini, and then immediately take it off into a into a into a wallet. Um, when my wallet had a similar value on it, and it was in my sock drawer to what my house was worth, I said, "This might be time to like figure something out here and like not have." The seed phrase and the wallet both in my sock drawer yep so that's when i learned about found discovered unchained capital got the multi-sig set up ever since that day you know fans been been sleeping you know much much better both while you know wallets are in different geographic locations that kind of thing with capital, it's pretty simple. We, uh, my partner and I, make a determination on a monthly basis uh, what we don't need for whether it's distributions or you know the next few months of uh, working capital. We we've picked a steady amount each year, uh, and we you know divide it by twelve on the first of the month. I can't wait. It's like on the twenty eighth. I'm always like I can't wait. To, a couple times I'll do the wire a couple days early, only for it to go down. You know a couple grand. I just should have waited. But anyway, we wire (laughs) the money. Stories all the time. Yeah, we wire the money to Gemini. I immediately withdraw it to Capital's vault uh, multi sig setup, and um, it's that simple. Same as you know how I would do it with my personal funds. You know, because it's just my partner and I, and we don't have a board and we don't have investors. There's not a whole lot of you know. There's not a whole lot of due diligence that needed to go in. It was literally a conversation like, "Hey, I got this idea. I've been spending a lot of time. I think it's you know." a worthwhile way to invest some of our excess cash. He was like, you know, I trust you and, you know, I love it. And uh let's, you know, I'll learn a bit on the way. So it, it goes there. And from an accounting standpoint, it's just on there at our cost. Yeah, uh, We don't, we don't, we don't take a, P, a profit or loss on it. Um Hope I don't, hope I'm not saying anything wrong. And I'm like, have someone coming after me. Like, you know, you owe the taxes <laughs> on the first part that went up. yeah. But yeah. trust me we're underwater so it's okay you know we don't know anything yeah the only yeah. the
2: irs is happy to not give you any write-offs for the how the losses you've taken but they're more than yes. happy to take all the gains so oh, yeah. absolutely yes
0: so we so yeah that, that's that's uh that's how we handle things with that we may be
1: migrating more that direction but we're pretty archaic we just pay ourselves it all goes into bitcoin and josh and i basically play a game every month of who can get the best uh Best price yeah. on their Bitcoin. Is it Smash Buy month. or is it DCA? Let's see who and wins. And we go, we go back and forth every single month. It's like, all right, dude, this month I'm going to just set the DCA. And oh. then the other guy's like, all right, I'm going to lump in. And then the next <laughs> month it like reverses, you know? But the general principle is it's a beautiful thing, no matter how small your cash flow is, to be funneling your cash flow month over month, long term, kind of set and forget, even though we're joking. We're buying it every single month with whatever profits come out of this thing. Uh, my question for you is, this is quite the environment to kind of have been through because you started buying in 2019, we weren't that far ahead of you in 2017, but like, you know, as we've covered, Bitcoin does this thing where it makes you look like a genius and then it makes you look like an idiot and then it makes you look like a genius again on a long enough time frame. it makes you look like a genius, but you kind of have to weather these, these valleys. Yeah. What well, if the problem the last- is, is, though, yeah.
2: that the, the genius phase seems to be shorter than the idiot phase. Like, exactly. <laughs> it, does. it does. Exactly.
1: Uh, what has uh, perception been like from family, maybe from coworkers, from your partner as this thing has done yeah. what it does yeah. and thrown its camouflage on and, and and backed its way into the jungle again?
0: That's a great question. Yeah. Um, I love it. Um, You know, it's funny. On the way, I've got a group of guys that I kind of got into Bitcoin, and we have our little we have our little chat called Team Team BTC. And like on the way up, I mean, it was so much fun. We're we're knocking each other on each thousand. We're we're, we went to celebratory dinners. I mean, we we (laughs) had the best time. It was. And Jeff, you should have seen the
1: firehouse uh, in these these last couple bull markets. Pure mayhem. Uh, oh, and then it's, it's, especially 2017, it. man. Yeah. That was, that was bananas. Now you can hear a oh pin drop. God. Nobody cares except maybe, I don't know, six, eight guys that listen every week. Nobody else cares. And they'll all be interested again next time, you know? Yep.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, for me, like everybody else, when it was at 68, about a year ago today, I was convinced it was going to a hundred. I could not have bought more and Same more here. quickly and, you know, absolutely thought it was going to the moon. Fast forward a year, and to be honest with you, it really all makes a lot of sense now. Like, the price right now is not that surprising. And I love, first of all, nobody talks about it. On the way up, I was getting calls and texts from people I hadn't heard from in 10 years, like, because yep, yep. they knew I was into Bitcoin and, like, my advice and how they should buy it and when, you know, is it too late? All this. I'm like, too late at 50. You're, you're just the beginning, <laughs> in, 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 in one. It's a rounding error. Yeah,
1: yeah
2: as Faust would say. Yeah, yeah, we exactly. all did it, man. That's we cool. all did it.
0: But anyway, now it's 17, nobody talks about it. I go out nights, weekends, nobody mentions it. No nobody's and and the only people that are talking about it is like they're making fun of me, or they're gonna they're making fun that they're gonna buy it when it goes under 10, or like, you know, I just heard last night someone say they think it's gonna go to two. Like that's kind of like I've gotta believe. First of all, with the negative news and the negative what's going on in both the macro world, the interest rate world, every you know every area of crypto, the fact that we're at 17 or 18 to me is like, wow, we're holding up pretty well. I think so too. I'm getting a chance to buy. I'm getting a chance every month to buy a little bit more of what is fixed forever. Exactly. I go on a little bit bigger piece of this, and I'm. I think. I think in hindsight, we're going to look back, and this is going to be the best thing that ever happened for all of us.
2: I think a good way to look at it too is you know, say you bought it at 60 grand, which you know what? I'm guilty. I bought quite a bit at 60 grand, 59 or something. But (laughs) I look at today as like, I'm making up for the mistake. Well, quote unquote mistake that I made then. Like I'm buying it averaging down now to a hell of a lot less. So, I mean, you got to make up, if you got to, if you made some mistakes when this thing was at $70,000, like now is the time to make up for it. I mean, certainly don't want to sell unless you want to, you know, harvest some tax losses and play that game. But uh, you definitely yeah. don't want to get out of this thing right now. Like this is the time when it's coiling up, and especially like you mentioned, Powell just said he's going to raise interest rates again, and Bitcoin's price was non-affected. Like that is that's incredible. I mean, there are people chomping at the bit to buy this thing right now because they understand and they have the ability to see forward what this is going to mean, and they don't want to lose the opportunity to hit the, to buy
1: this thing at seventeen thousand. And yeah, and the fact of the matter is, gentlemen. Bitcoin makes you earn it. I mean, that's the theme from the last five years. Like, I sent this tweet. It went something like, um, people that come to Bitcoin to get rich quick leave and reap no benefits. uh, But people people that don't come to Bitcoin to get rich quick stay, build, stack, and then they get rich. And that's kind of how I view this protocol. Like, it will humble you, though, because most people the three of us probably included, I have to think through your time frame a little closer, Jeff, maybe <laughs> not you actually, but you you, you get interested in Bitcoin when the price is going parabolic because that's when it's on MSNBC and it's on Fox and your neighbor's talking about it and your nephew's bringing the hardware wallet to Thanksgiving thinking he's a genius. Like That's when the hype is there. That's when you get interested. That's when you start your learning journey. And for eight out of 10 people, they're then going to have to weather... The, the bear market and it's going to be maybe more severe than they expected. Oh. And so this thing just has a way of just sifting and just, and it just choosing and, and naturally selecting those who've done the homework to really understand what they own. And that's where like, you can't blame yourself. We, you know, we, it, <clears throat> we both made huge purchases when it did that, that shot fake, right. As I would call it, like yes, it, it went to 60 and then it went back down to whatever 30 and then it went back up to 69. And I was like, yeah, dude, on seriously the way back strap up? in like fuck, yeah. get anything to pin yourself down. Cause we're going into fucking outer space oh. <laughs> and, and, uh, and it, it didn't, but I'm still here because I believe back to the fundamentals of what this thing actually accomplishes. And I know that can sound ridiculous to people when you said, I think it's going to 180 and now it's sitting at 16, but I'm here to say it's going to 180. It's going way beyond 180. It's going to underpin much of, if not the entire global financial system, because it's got no competition and it's probably the most marvelous innovation of our lifetime.
0: Yeah. I second that. I second that
2: completely. Yeah, Dan, and just Um, back to your pump fake. I, I remember telling you specifically, I was like, dude, there's no way this thing goes to 60 or close to it falls back to 30 and then recaptures 60 and then, you know, does what it did. Like the probabilities for that in my mind were like, this thing's going way over a hundred before it stops this time. It it just caught me so off sides.
0: My, my favorite cartoon, which I'm sure you guys saw, you know, I've seen many times is the one where there's the, it's the racetrack and the window where it's 68 is lined with people and the window where it's 30, there's no one there. It's like, you know, and I also think like the age-old investing truisms are like, you know, don't have leverage, DCA, have a long-term horizon. Like this is teaching you that. Like you have to follow those or you will get wrecked, you know? So it's, it's humbling. It's really, really hard, especially when you're kind of getting smirked at and laughed at by like all the people that never bought it and thought you were an idiot. You know, it's, it's yeah. uh, you know, but if you believe and you've done the work and you understand what we've got here, I mean, I, 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 feel like I say this to people like, and you guys, I think have said it on the show, but like when you, once you see it, you can't unsee oh, it. Yeah. It's like, how do people yep. not get this?
2: Yep. It is. It is crazy to once you, once you like, just as you said, once you
1: see it, you can't unsee it and you can't stop buying it either. <laughs> we got bro, we, we got uh, brothers going somewhere. Sirens in the background of your, uh, oh. right there. Yeah. I love it. Brothers and yeah. sisters well, on the move. Um, all day,
0: every day, it seems like. Where we Yeah.
2: Are. Jeff, talk to us a little bit about other entrepreneurs that you know running businesses and the most effective way to orange pill people in that strata. How do you, what is the best way that you found to uh, bring this idea and this message to people that are running their own businesses and are entrepreneurs? Because I think those types of people are probably a bit more skeptical in general.
1: And have well, the most to gain, too,
0: mind right. you. You know, Unfortunately, to be honest, I don't have that many people that I know and and come in contact with that own their own businesses. Most of my friends are professionals, whether it be doctors, lawyers, hedge fund guys. Um, In general, the orange pilling came from just, you know, talking about it, explaining what it is, explaining why it's different than than all these other shit coins, Um, you know it's more like selective like a few of my closest friends who trust and value my opinion started buying it close to when i started buying it and have held on and you know they'll 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 buy more at times nowhere near as as dedicated and you know confident as i am but they'll ask me my opinion you know are you holding should i hold what should i do um i try my best to introduce people to you know anyone that i can get to read the bitcoin standard i think is a great place to start Truly I'll send is. them to hope. I'll send them to hope.com where, you know, they've got all those resources. Um, I'll send articles, I'll, you know, but it's yeah. kind of like, you know, you can, you can take the camel to water, but you can't get him to drink. 100%. Or, yeah. I feel like drink. Michael Saylor
2: coming into the space in 2020, the way he did, like, he's got such a, I mean, he's, he's, he's like multidisciplinary in a lot of ways. He's got this pseudo philosophical view of the way he emotes this, which is like, especially with, Breed love's series with him, where he equates it to discovering fire and the evolution of man, and that brought me back to like the book Sapiens, which we talk about constantly where I mean Dan and I love the book anyway the the point I'm getting at is that sailor just has a really really profound way to identify really philosophical ways to explain this that are just beautiful and I think if I had to choose somebody to try to you know orange pill people that are maybe at that upper strata he is Definitely the guy to go to because he's just got such a
1: profound way of describing these things. Wait, I wanted to say one thing about just orange pilling in general, because this is the plight of any well-researched pleb right now, Jeff. And that's, you're sitting here thinking this is such an unbelievable opportunity. Like euphoria is rinsed totally from this market. This thing keeps churning out blocks roughly every 10 minutes. It's being innovated on at a pace that I can't keep up with even though we do a podcast weekly. Um, it's just the fundamentals are so intact. The use case is brighter than it's been even when we got in. I mean, the use case and the, the need and the hole that Bitcoin is filling is much wider today than in, in my view than it even was in 2017. But yeah, nobody's interested. And I think like for me, I just had to embrace that. Like you cannot make or force Other people to have the interest and conviction you do. And unfortunately, Price will be the great teacher. Price was the great teacher for me. That's when I got interested. It will be the great teacher for other people again. And even when they start paying attention to this at a number far north of where we're at today, it'll still be a great opportunity. And hopefully, we'll still be here recording weekly episodes. But that's not an easy answer. You're going to Thanksgiving and Christmas 2022 thinking, all these people need to be buying this and it's just it's just not going to happen. I I don't mean to I give it a shot and I'm I'm going to keep trying and you chip away at a person at a time, but in these environments someone needs to either really trust you or have a unique proclivity to inhale a lot of bitcoin information when the price is down and everybody says it's a joke. And yeah. those two things are are far and few between. I think
2: not only that, but they also need to have the ability to buy when there's blood in the streets, which not a lot of people do. Honestly, like this is and the time to buy like March 2020 was the perfect time to buy. And again, yep. we're back at that kind of a situation um, where it's the time to buy. If you are interested in this and you understand it, you should be going full hog on this thing. And before that, it must have been like 2018 or so. The last time you should have been buying that hard. But again, you go back and forth and you just you never know. We could be at 10 grand in two weeks from now. We could be at 30 grand in two weeks from now. There's just no way to know. So as we always say, dollar cost average this thing and be careful out there
0: Jeff, in a weird way I don't mind when it goes down you know like I'm sure you're similar to that like the lower yeah. it goes the more hardened you get in your conviction I also think that like a lot of people just don't care about money they just it's yeah. not something that interests them they just they know money is money they make it they spend it they try to save a little but they don't really think what it is and so they'll get it eventually when they when there's no other choice and and the and here's here's the
1: irony is bitcoins meant for those people. Jeff, because the system's overly financialized and complex because the money's broken, right? Like the money you get paid in is not the money you can preserve wealth in because the money's broken. And so people that don't have interest in money, which is fine, like in in some ways, that's a great disposition. Bitcoin may be the perfect option for them because it's a place that they can just park their money in day over day, month over month and forget about it. I think it has the potential to do that. And to, 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 in a way, allow people to turn their brain off more to money, paradoxically, if that makes sense. But th- that they'll take sure. years and decades to uncover.
0: Yeah, well, it's it's an interesting concept that you have to make your money in fiat, and then you got to make it again in investing. Like, yeah. why should we all have to be investors? I mean, I, I make my money shipping food. I should be able to save it and let it let it keep whatever it bought today in a year or two years. Yeah, and It absolutely. seems very simple to me.
2: Yeah, I think safe is the guy who perpetuated that idea. Like you have to make your money twice. And Mm -hmm. it's a shame because you have to be so multi multidisciplinary to even I mean, you're you're shipping things. You have to be an expert there. You have to understand everything that's going on. And then not only do you have to do that, you've got to move over to this investing world and have a semblance of an idea of what a treasury is. What is, you know, all of these other assorted uh financial instruments and what do they do and how do they advantage you or disadvantage you? It's a lot to take in as You know, Dan and I—we bonds are one of those things that I think we have the least uh, understanding in. So we both read books on that, and like you don't realize on the cover, like a bond is just a—you know—you're just lending someone money, effectively. But it goes extremely deep, and it's incredibly hard to understand because everything's kind of backwards in that world. But I'm just digressing into like how complex this stuff can be, and the typical person who just wants to make it doesn't want to have to learn. All the complexity that comes with
1: that. Yeah. Jeff, let's hear some about capital logistics. Uh, What do you do? Give us the skinny on that. And then any observations you have on the market, shipping things all across this great country. Take this wherever you want to.
0: Sure, absolutely. We got our start shipping produce. Uh, I had a friend who was uh, a big produce wholesaler in the Bronx terminal market. So we started shipping, you know, he was like, I'll give you a shot. That was like my first customer. Um, And shipping produce is super difficult. It's, it's, uh, you got to be real sensitive with the temperatures, whether it's cherries or strawberries. So like, and then there's all sorts of claims if you're out of that, meaning like you get charged back if the temps are too high, too low, whatever it is. Um, and so we, you know, we used to say like we're we're shipping the hardest thing to ship. And if we can be experts in produce, we can do anything. So we did that for like the first four or five years. Then we made some strategic hires and we we branched out into non-produce but still temp controlled. So everything we do is is temperature controlled food. It's, so it's like. Uh, fresh food frozen food cheese dairy all that we that's our specialty we just didn't branch out further because the opportunity was so big um like i alluded to earlier the, the market for all of covid it was very very difficult to get to get to get trucks you got all the loads you wanted so you didn't even have to look for customers and then in march of this year it, it was almost like the the the, the freight world went into a brick wall, and I think it was just right when the world reopened after the pandemic, people just in met on whatever just stopped buying so much of everything that the, the capacity generally opened up dramatically right away. So while the Fed was really just starting to raise rates, we already felt like we were in a freight recession. By by April May, it felt like a freight recession. Really? Actually. Oh yeah, I mean. To give you an idea, we are now like a typical load, let's say from Washington to Texas, we might have charged $8,000 a year ago. It's $5,000 today. Wow. Yeah. You're looking at 30 to 40, even 50% drops in a lot of rates everywhere. And, And now, like, we used to take. It, w- it would be, we would take all day to, to book. Like people would be working till six, seven o'clock because there were loads we couldn't find trucks for. Now everything's booked for tomorrow before they walk in the door. So it, it's like a total, total difference. Rates are down, Rate customer rates are down, truck rates are down even more, volumes are down. So if anything, like these, these cycles in freight, uh, you know, they usually say transportation predates uh, a lot of things in the economy. People watch the transports for an idea of where we're going. Uh, definitely in this situation, transports led. Now it seems, you know, we're probably a month or so into where everyone knows that 2023 is going to be a tough year and the economy is going to slow. And everybody's arguing every day whether it's definitely going to be a recession or, or probably or whatever it is. But we're in one. I mean, yeah. There's no doubt. I mean, interest rates have tripled. Nobody's buying houses you know, 50, 40% of trucking shipping things has gone down, at least on the food side. And you know, people aren't eating any less. So go, go figure out that, you know, they just must not have the money to buy as much food as they had a year ago. Um, but again, like, you know, my outlook generally would be, you know, it's amazing when you look at things through the lens of Bitcoin, how kind of silly the regular world looks. I might not have even thought about these things before, but now it's like we hang on every word that the fed says we're no. waiting for the we're waiting for the it's meeting absurd. we're we'll, yeah it's absurd and then we know what's going to happen they waited too long to raise inflation got out of control now they're raising when we're already in a recession the economy is going to crash and they're going to have to make up some reason why they have to backtrack without yeah. kind of letting everyone know that they that they screwed up and went too long so it i guess- don't know, we, you know, yeah,
2: sorry. Go ahead. No, no, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I, it's just kind of funny to me thinking about that. The Fed, the people who are supposed to have the most keen outlook on this stuff, are the ones that are uh, literally a year behind. While a shipping company, you know, you guys who see the, you know, you're on the ground, you're like in the trenches watching this shit. Why are they not smart enough to be watching you guys? I mean, most, you know, diligent investors are probably watching companies like you, thinking, okay, they just fell off forty percent here. That's not a good omen for the future. And like, how do we position ourselves for that? You would think that people at the treasury and the fed would also have that same mentality, but they, they're watching all these CPI numbers that are so not, it's even worse than that. They're trailing, you know, they're trailing like six months to a year, whereas you guys are ahead six months to a year. So there's like a two year deficit we're talking about here Mm. in the actions that should be happening, which is, it's kind of mind boggling that this kind of data is for the most part available to them and yet they keep making these kinds of policy mistakes. It's kind of, I don't know. It's just hard to believe, you know, but I mean, it's sort of easy to believe in that it's a sloppy government entity that is just doing
1: what it can to prop itself up and look like it's doing the thing that it should be doing. And has no easy out whatsoever. We don't have to go way down that, but it, it's the ultimate rock in a hard place. Like if you don't cause the recession, The consequences on the other end, in their mind, are probably even more dire, which is just a reflection of how broken a fiat, overly credit-based monetary system is at the centralized behest of policymakers voted in every four years. It's a huge freaking problem, and Bitcoin's a catastrophic upgrade, but there's just no easy answer. You know, We do the old put-yourself-in-Jerome-Powell seat exercise on this show all the time, and I don't have any easy answers for the guy. It's not a job I'd want. But no. yeah, I agree, Josh. They should be paying more attention to people doing real tangible things like moving
0: freight around. Um, you know, and they're, they're risking, you know, the risk is how they don't know how bad things could get if they keep playing with this little dial. Right.
1: Yeah. How do you folks batten down the hatches in this environment? Like what what are the tactics? I'm sure you've been through something reminiscent maybe before. As, as your industry ebbs and flows, what are sort of the strategies sure. as you're heading into a year like next
0: year? So the other night I woke up in the middle of the night with like lock jaw, you know what that is? Like where you can't open your mouth. So that's kind of how I'm dealing with it. <laughs> but, <laughs> Just being super stressed. Super stressed and yeah. like, oh, I'm going I'm going to bed thinking everything's great. And I wake up at two in the morning, I can't open my mouth. And I was in super severe pain from grinding my teeth. But how are we dealing with it? We uh, you know, we we thankfully have a lot of freight under contract, and those the, that the, the rates we've had have come down more slowly than the truck market itself has. Come okay. Down. So we've had an artificially good year in that sense, um, and we've squirreled away a lot of money, uh, knowing that next year is going to be more difficult than prior years. Um, we also ship food. You know, So in terms of like what is and what's the first thing to get hit and what's the last thing to get hit, I mean, I've kind of always, you know, part of why I got into this was that it's steady and it's recession resistant and it's going to perform, relatively speaking, better than a lot of other industries. So we're being careful with the hiring. We're still hiring because we, we have a lot of, lot, of, lot of irons in the fire for next year, a lot of new customers potentially coming on board. The industry is massive. We're really, really good at what we do. Um, You know, I'm sure everybody says that, but like we've got 90 people. Some of our competitors have 3000. Everyone here really wants to be here. They all work really hard. Like I said at the beginning, they're well compensated. And so like we think we'll outperform even in a even in a shrinking overall freight market. and, and besides that, we just kind of cross our fingers that it doesn't get too, too bad, you know, and like, you know, we, you know, like everybody else, you just don't know how bad it's going to be. So we're trying to, we're trying to be as smart as we can with our decision making, our planning, how much we're going to spend on different things, you know, cutting this, cutting that, you know, just being careful with raises and, and whatnot, having some difficult conversations with people. Um, but overall, like I've always had, and the people here, we have an optimistic view on the you, you know the economy generally people's willingness and and, and need to spend and you know we're going to we're going to get through this you know yeah like, jeff like like we have to
2: i want to round back to something you mentioned earlier that you had worked uh around madoff back in the day and i want to bring that back to uh current events which are the next you know fraud that we're all going to watch burn hopefully hopefully burn really really well in the Bahamian prison <laughs> and we had sent you these questions before he got arrested. It's funny that I like right. I, I wrote, "Should he be in jail?" And you were like, "Yeah, absolutely he should fucking be in jail." <laughs> well, now he is in jail, and it doesn't sound like he's liking it too much. Um, any thoughts, any uh, ruminations about SBF, this whole clown show that he perpetuated, and how that has echoes of Madoff in it?
0: Yeah, you know, and again, this kind of comes back to why I think the price that we're at now isn't that surprising because like you've got just so much fraud. Yeah. M- my my quick and dirty on this is like I never really paid that much attention to FTX. It was a get to me or just another exchange. Right. Just I like think we US. were all in that
2: position. Like I didn't ever yeah. pay attention to it. I never used it, but whatever. It's an exchange. Yeah.
0: And then, you know, the next thing you know, the NBA officials had it here, a a stadium, an arena was named after it. Tom Brady and Steph Curry. I'm pretty sure there's like
2: half the politicians in D.C. have FTX on like their shirts they're walking around with.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, so, you know, and, 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 you know, as a real business owner who's done this and it took me 14 years to get to where we are, I just I'm always skeptical that anything could be that easy and that big and that fast. And it's just I always looked at it as, you know, partially not interested in FTX and in SPF and partially in disbelief that they could really build something this big, you know, that fast. You know, again, it comes back to like having only ever bought Bitcoin and thinking everything else is just full of shit. You know, how, you know, you're, you're making money because other people are buying and selling things that ultimately I don't think have any value. So it's not surprising that we are where we are. Um, I'd like to think, you know, that Coinbase's and the Binance's are running a real business that, you know, they are, they are making money because the industry exists and people want to buy and sell these things just like they want to buy and sell stocks, whether or not they're ultimately all going to zero, but, you know, that that's okay if that's the business they want to be in. Um, I am shocked a bit that, you know, anyone, you know, as a, you know, as a, human being that tries to do the right thing and, you know, run their business the right way. It is always shocking when you see something, a fraud of this level and magnitude, like how could anyone, how could anyone be this insane and this, you know, demented to come up with this level of scam, you know? So brash.
2: (laughs) So, So, I mean, so absolutely brash about, and, and then not only to do it, but to show up, what was it? Like six months ago when BlockFi was blowing up and he was the savior He was the JP Morgan. He was, you know, handing charity to all these companies and saving the crypto market. And he knew the whole time he was a complete and utter sham and fraud to just the level of, uh, God, I don't even know the word for it. The level of just ridiculous, ridiculousness to do that. It just blows my mind.
1: It's out there, man. It really is.
2: Yeah.
0: I mean, you know, a, a buddy of mine was on. I was on the phone with him earlier today, and he was asking me a little bit about it. And Like, he couldn't even comprehend. I was like, just imagine you sent a hundred grand to Vanguard to buy Microsoft, and instead of buying it, they just took your money and bought a house with it. Like that's how, <laughs> that's how brazen this was. Exactly right, like, right. Yeah,
1: I, like I, it's and 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 how overt it was. Like people saw Alameda. Like when they, like it was showing up on the, the, what was that? The wires or I mean, people were sending money to FTX and then it was, it was literally outwardly there that the money was headed straight to Alameda. Like
2: it, it's even worse than that too, because they were, Alameda was paying off debts that they had incurred just, you know, having screwed up in their trades so badly. So they were basically bailing right, like their ship out with your money.
0: Yeah. I think there was like, you would send a wire to FTX and then the wire instructions would be to Alameda. Like something that that ridiculous. So uh, it all has to just burn down, right? It all has to just burn down and Bitcoin will be, be standing at the end and wherever that price may be, you know, it'll be and yep. we'll just keep accumulating. We're watching the forest
2: fire burn away to the burn all the bullshit down and let the uh, let the animals
1: flourish that survive. I would just prepare people for the fact that, you know, if you, if you're strengthening your conviction. You're lucky enough to be strengthening your conviction in a bear market like this. Uh, Prepare for this not to be the last time this happens. Uh, It's going to happen again. I don't know what form or shape it's going to take, but anytime you have momentous discovery and innovation, you have a ton of bullshit riding its coattails. If Bitcoin does anything remotely close to what we expect over the next few decades, a lot of parasites and leeches are yeah. going to try to suck some blood out of it, and it and it's going to get overinflated, and it's going to crash down again, and it's going to be virtually, you know, back to our three journeys this last cycle. It, it's impossible to predict where the blow off top is and what it's at. I mean, you could have had the blow off top this cycle. at seriously, when you understand like the scarcity mechanics and the and the supply shock mechanics of Bitcoin, you could have had a blow off top at one hundred and ninety grand, just as easy as you had it at sixty nine, and and the. There are risks to waiting on the sideline too. Like Bitcoin. Bitcoin is one of the few and maybe this is just me being a total idiot and and saying this time's different, but because of the uniqueness of Bitcoin's design with totally inelastic programmatic supply and what we suppose is going to be massive demand, it may be one of the few assets that's totally worth FOMOing into. Yeah. Because if if you if you don't, if you sit around waiting for uh, right now is a good uh, if you're sitting around waiting for two thousand because your buddy said it's coming, maybe it's coming. I don't know, but this thing could be at fifty eight pretty quickly too. So just start, start yeah. learning, start stacking. You know,
0: I, I think next time it goes, it could go f- super fast. Like you just don't, and then I also believe that with this shakeout, more and more people will get like as it continues to inch back up, they'll still be skeptical. Oh, it's at twenty two. I'm going to wait till it goes back to seventeen to buy. You know, it's such human psychology. No one wants to buy it because it's going to go right back down and it's going to be fun to watch. I'll tell you the next, especially with the, 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 every day we're getting one day closer to the next having. So, you know, it's going to be a a very fun and interesting next 16 months.
2: On the topic of Dan, you mentioned new technologies, always bringing bullshit. The snake oil salesman originated back in the day when railroads were new. So it enabled people to move from town to town much quicker than they ever could before. So the snake oil salesman originated when the railroads enabled mobility at a much faster pace because people could just jump from town to town selling whatever bullshit salve or you know cocaine in a in a box that made you feel better. That shit all origin. That's where the snake oil salesman came from. The technology of railroads. And mm-hmm. so you know this is just 200 years later. We have the new technology that's enabling
1: a whole new breed of snake oil salesmen don't be yep. taken. Jeff, what's the craziest, most challenging thing you folks ship? Like what, what's part of your business where you're like, man, if people knew how complex or, or involved doing this thing is, what, what is that? Yeah, thing? You, you'd,
0: you'd never believe how complex and it, it, just to ship cherries is. That's like our, when you get, you get a load of, sh- well, ice cream actually, but we don't do a, that much of it, but ice cream, like the whole place, like you know, when we used to have people here, at least it would like get quiet. Like, Holy shit. We have an ice cream load on, (laughs) you know, nobody respects ice ice cream man. Yeah, If you don't keep that frozen, you know, if you don't keep that exactly frozen, you know, and what else, you know what else used to happen? Like when we first started years ago, we'd be shipping like a load of tomatoes and the guy on the other end of the phone was like, You know, you'd have to check in with them every, however, six hours and give them an update on where the tomatoes were and like what color they were. (laughs) And it was like, if the tomatoes were late, like someone was going to die, you know, and I was like, dude, we're not, we're not transplanting a liver here. You know, I mean, it's, it's a freaking load of tomatoes, relax, you know, (laughs) but yeah, there's just things you don't think about.
2: You know, you go to a grocery store and you walk around, you pick up all this produce that is perfectly ready to go. You, and you don't, I know I don't, you don't appreciate all the work it takes to get from all the different people that are getting all that shit there from like South America right now, most likely, like all this stuff, all this fruit is all coming from down there. At this yeah. the every, every,
0: a lot of things come in through Mexico, through the, uh, through the Arizona border. So we're shipping a lot out of, out of Yuma, Arizona right now. And it moves throughout the year. Like we just closed up shop in Northern California. We're in, we're in, we're in Arizona, but like, you know, cherries in particular are high value product. Uh There's a lot of eyes on it because they don't buy as many loads of it. So you're talking about it per truckload. This summer was like around $150,000 per per load of cherries. Holy not shit. We, not, yeah. Not that we buy the, we don't buy the load, but if something happens right. to the load, we buy the it's load. It's significant. So, and,
1: yeah. And yeah. I, I, you know, this is a, a random anecdote, but uh, <laughs> I like, I, I was watching this documentary about, cruise ships and ships in general. And, and they had this section where the, the guy that's in, in charge of the food stores on the ship, you know, the day of they're bringing in all the food for the, for the voyage. And it gave me a feel for how demanding and how much of an asshole these people in the food industry can be. And understandably so, cause it's like just in time, gotta be perfect. But I remember like somebody brought in this load of pineapples that wasn't right. And you would have thought that this truck driver killed his dog or something. I mean, this guy went absolutely <laughs> ballistic. Do you, do, you, do you put up with some of that kind of stuff?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, that times times 50. I mean, we have everybody thinks that their particular load of food is the most important thing of all time. We also get like some real shady like you'll get like strawberry shippers. You just know at the end of the season, they're loading stuff that's got not nearly enough shelf life and Then when it gets to where we're taking it, there's something wrong with it, and like there's there's depending on who the customer is, you'll have a battle. Like they'll try to blame it on us, whereas the good customers always know that it's the shipper's fault, not the truck's fault. You know, but like you just get there's just shady people everywhere, so you gotta you know you gotta watch out.
1: Yeah, I have a a generational question I want to ask here. Um, I don't know how old you are. We're in our mid thirties. every whether it's gen z millennials boomers gen x each generation has its blind spots and then its uniquenesses that allow us to see that that allow it to see this asset class how, how do you sort of view your peers and your generation what what predisposes them to see it and then what blinds them from being able to see bitcoin
0: yeah i mean i think certainly my generation is is more receptive than someone much older I'm 52 um I think that part of the reason I got it quickly and and saw it you know so brightly was for, from my interest in money for how, as long as I can remember so being interested in the concept of money and you know one thing that I'm sure you guys experienced also is right when you started looking into bitcoin is when you realized you had to go back and learn all about fiat right you never even yeah. thought about that yeah. so to understand this you have to understand that I think for the most part, most of the people I know, the resistance to adopting, accepting, seeing it, is that they don't want to see it and they don't want things to change. Mm. Most people I know are very successful and the system as it is, 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 has been very good to them. So they don't want anything to change. They want the Fed, you know, most people I know inflation is here inflation will go back down and then once inflation goes back down they'll lower and the economy will come back and it's just a cycle that can go on forever they don't think that this is blowing up one last final time whether it's next year or five years from now they're all mostly under the impression that all is actually pretty good
2: that does it kind of reminds me of that scene in the matrix the original one the only good one when morpheus tells neo he's like most of these people are so ingrained into the matrix that they'll protect the matrix. And that, I mean, that's almost exactly as you described, you know? And I think yeah. it counterintuitively or intuitively, actually most young people kind of feel like they got the short end of the stick these days, especially in their twenties, maybe early thirties or so, like not as many opportunities. They got, you know, a shit sandwich of debt hanging over them from college. And they're working as a barista at Starbucks. Um, you're totally 50%. Exactly. And you're totally okay with burning the system down when that's your situation. So, um, yeah, that's kind of the situation that paradigm difference between the two generations, I think is there's a lot of, I mean, and sure there's people that have the detrimental effect of like just not being successful in the older generations as well. But, um, I think that's the major catalyst and major difference between these generations
1: as they, as they move on, you know. I, I do think, and I know we would all agree on this, it, it is equally important though on both ends of the spectrum. So there can be a propensity to kind of like pick on the older generations, like, oh, they cherry-picked all the good stuff, and we're but they're they're potentially in for it too. Like there's a lot of people that are retiring. Let's say they're 65, they're retiring on a nest egg that they think is going to be enough. And it very well may not be enough. And that person is extremely vulnerable and in need of a solution which even in a small allocation size maybe a 1 to 3% bitcoin allocation in your your set nest egg that you're reliant on could make the difference for you so there's vulnerabilities on both ends of the spectrum just cuz the whole as we've said the whole thing's built on sand and and has the potential to to it's either seep away or erode away quickly but you're right until people either see something shiny or feel the pain they're not incentivized to move towards this new thing that's mind you very yeah. complex and hard to understand
0: yep yeah and look the, i think the 65 and older crowd is at the at the biggest risk i mean yes they think they think they're in bonds that are safe put aside how poorly they've performed this year but if you buy a bond at 4% and interest and inflation hangs out at 5 or 6 you're going to lose you know, quite a bit of purchasing power every year. It's going to go yeah. fast.
1: Yeah, Jeff, you have some real estate interests, right? Or am I? I do. Yeah. What are what's your as we close up here? What's your thought on on real estate and that market right now?
0: Well, I certainly would be. You know, I wouldn't want to be owning office space in New York City. That's for sure. That that would be. You know, I'm. You're hearing all the time about like people are saying like it might level off at 50% occupancy and not actually ever come back. Um, you know, look, I think that the the really smart, hardworking people that really dedicate themselves to real estate will will find opportunity. And if they're not over leveraged, and I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities for people that are liquid and know what they're doing. And, you know, just like people are going to eat, people have to live somewhere. And maybe, you know, rents are going to come down 15%, you know, in a really bad scenario. But I think that, you know, the smart people make the right purchases, or I have a friend who does real estate for a living and every property that he owns, he immediately put on long-term debt. So he's got seven, 10, 15 years of fixed rate debt. He's not, he's not at risk, but a lot of people that, you know went into something and took a three-year loan thinking that they were going to get the rent rolls up and get the net, the income up, they're going to be in a lot of trouble. So I think it's like anything. You know, Some people will do great and some some won't. And I think it's probably the second best asset class out there, far, far, far behind Bitcoin.
2: Yeah. Great. Jeff, give us a handoff to yourself, Capital Logistics.
0: Yeah. I mean, I just want to thank you guys again. This was really awesome. It's an honor to have been here. You guys are great. Uh, I hope, uh, in wrapping up that, you know, if I could it help, you know, just even a few people see, see something or understand something that they didn't, I, I would feel like this was a success, at least from my end. You guys, obviously uh, we enjoyed it. Oh, you guys always add a ton of stuff. I mean, uh, you know, Capital Logistics. You can find us on the web, CapitalLogisticsLLC.com. Uh, my email address is JeffG at cap us If anyone wanted to ask me anything or have any questions or anything, not that active on Twitter, used to be, but you know, I save I leave that to the really smart guys uh, like uh, like like Dan and Josh, you guys, and Lynn and Sailor and Preston.
2: <laughs> well, if we need any sh- any cherries shipped, you know, an entire truckload, we know the guy to go to and make sure that. You know doesn't get all fucked up on the way yeah that's all Hundred fifty thousand dollar mistake right there
1: yeah josh i'm thinking if we have a couple hundred k sitting on the balance sheet maybe we'll just ship, Buy some ship the three stations in our town some <laughs> a fresh load of cherries and it better be <laughs> fucking perfect jeff by the way it yeah. better be absolutely square we'll, away or we we'll will turn send that back to new york them.
0: Yeah. That's awesome.
1: Thanks so much for joining us, Jeff. Appreciate
0: it. You're welcome. Take care, guys.
1: Thanks. Thanks so much for listening into the show. If you enjoyed this discussion, be sure to like or subscribe on whatever app you're using for podcasts or on YouTube. And if you have an extra minute, go ahead and leave us a review. We are also active on Twitter at blue underscore collar BTC. And our email address is bluecollarbitcoinpodcast at gmail.com. We invite questions, comments, or inquiries of any kind. We look forward to you joining us again on the BCB Podcast.